There's nothing like silence when the offering's being taken. No pressure. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. For those of you who are visiting with us, my name is Joe Mays, and I am the student pastor here at Mount Pleasant. And several times a year, uh, through our interim pastor being gone, um, I'm able to have the opportunity to come and preach, and I always take this opportunity very serious, and I'm very thankful for being able to be able to do this this morning. It has been a busy last three weeks in ministry. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I've been gone the last three weeks. Um, three weeks ago, we went to summer camp for our student ministry. Two weeks ago, we went to center kid with the children's ministry. And then this past week, um, I was gone to our mission trip or a missions camp called imitate with our student ministry. And let me tell you, the last three weeks have been awesome. Uh, God has really wrecked me. He has done some amazing things in both our student ministry and children's ministry. And I believe that he's going to continue to do some amazing things. But with that said, I had a sermon that I preached several years ago, probably six or seven years ago that I was planning on preaching again today until I went to um, our mission trip. And uh, God and his divine nature decided that there was something better that had to be said this morning. So over the last 48 hours, I have been, I have changed my message and you're going to hear a little bit of what our students heard all week, um, at our imitate missions camp, because here's the thing, there's good news for us this morning. All right. We, we are about to study what we call good news. The gospel is known as good news and even better translated as good news. It's, it's a, the deeper meaning is good news of a victory. The good news is that we don't have to worry or guess who's victorious. It's God. We don't have to guess what God is like or what he expects out of us. Now that's, that, that's good, but it's also at times difficult because we understand what he expects out of us quite often and we don't do it. We don't even have to guess what it looks like to glorify God. Even in having these answers, we often daily fall short. Part of the good news of Jesus Christ is that when he changes us, he gives us the expectations for our lives. He gives us what we should look like. We don't have to wonder what these expectations are. The main expectation that we have as a Christian is to imitate Christ. We all imitate something. We we are people who have learned much of our behavior. And we've learned it by imitating those whom we are around. Some people try to imitate maybe LeBron James. We all fell at that. None of us are LeBron James. Some of us try to maybe even imitate Tom Brady. Now, we can't do that unless we deflate a football. All right? That's the only imitation of... (laughs) 
I knew, I know we have some New England Patriots fans in here. But hey, here's the thing. We try to imitate those we aspire to be like or those we are around. Others tried to imitate their favorite actor or actress or musician. Others, without even knowing it, they don't admit this, probably imitate their parents or guardians. I know if you were to spend even an hour or two with my father, you would see some of the same characteristics that my father has or some of the characteristics I have. All right. And now I have a two-year-old son and it's scary. Okay. Now our students like to tease me a little bit because I do this thing that they call the side eye where I'll be staring, I'll be, my face will be this way and I'll be looking at them out of the corner of my eye. I don't even know I'm doing it half the time. But the other day I get home from this trip imitate and my son who just turned two this week is staring at me out of the corner of his eye. I'm like, son, where did you learn that from? Stop doing that. But we imitate those whom we are around. But the question that was proposed to us Wednesday night that I think shook me and many of the other students and adults that were with us was this. When it comes to, or uh, the question was, as we consider imitating Christ, what if the body of Christ would be fully surrendered to Christ. Now this is probably a question we have heard quite often in the Christian church today. Being fully surrendered to him. But for, for whatever reason, Wednesday night, as we sat there and we listened to Dr. Alvin Reed preach the gospel message and him ask that, it shook us because here's the thing. Most of us, if not all of us could care less about fully surrendering everything over to imitate Jesus Christ. So as we think about being fully surrendered, we must consider how to imitate Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses here. These were the main verses that we looked at this entire week. And this is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Point number one, imitating Jesus means abiding in him. Okay, imitating Jesus means abiding in here, in him. The first word in Ephesians 5 is therefore. Anytime we hear therefore, and I talked about this last time I preached, you look back to see what just happened, right? So Ephesians chapter 4, it's talking about having a new life in Christ, to, 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 being, to be a new creation. And so it's talking about salvation and finding our salvation in him. And then he says, therefore, be imitators of God. So if you're a Christian, you're imitating God as beloved children. So if we're children of God, we are imitating our father. We are imitating the one who, who, 
who has ownership over us. We are imitating the one who created this earth. And, and that's because we have life through him. We cannot imitate Christ if we don't have a personal relationship with him. So in order for us to abide in him, to be alongside of him, we need to have a personal relationship with him. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot and you are not imitating him. And if he hasn't changed us, we don't personally know him. So the questions you can ask today on whether you have a relationship with Jesus are two things. Has he changed you? Like, are you a different person now? And secondly, do you produce fruit? This is what John chapter 15, verses four and five says. It says, abide in me and I in you. Speaking of Jesus speaking, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, but it is also that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus is telling us that if we are truly a Christian, we are bearing fruit that looks like Jesus. We are imitating Jesus to a certain extent. And some of us here today think that our ticket to heaven is because we are sitting in a church this morning and it's not anything to do with truly abiding in Jesus. Abiding with him. So we should look like Jesus, we should, our lives should have been changed because a fruit cannot itself, or a branch cannot itself bear fruit, okay? If you just have a branch there, just have a branch. Or if there's a grapevine that grapevine can't decide to start producing strawberries, okay? Because it's meant to produce grape. And some of us, we, we, we claim that we have Jesus in our lives, we claim that we know Jesus, but the fruit that we're producing looks nothing like Jesus. So what we need to do is we need to look to our own and to our own hearts and ask ourselves, do we even truly know Jesus? Has he changed us? Because if we're not bearing his fruit, then it's a heart problem. It's a salvation issue. See, being children of God means we produce fruit and we can't produce fruit if we're not connected to the vine. And that's what I love about John 14. I am the vine, you are the branches. Some of you are trying to be the vine. You can't. Jesus is the only vine. And we as the branches need to be connected to him. And if you're not connected to him, you don't have a relationship with him and you are not a child of God. Being children of God means he is our life. Jesus isn't just a major part of our life. I mean, he is our life. 
Jesus, the Holy Spirit just doesn't enter you every time you enter into the church. The Holy Spirit is always within you. So if the way you live outside of this building, outside of this church looks different than what you do on Sunday morning, you are not producing fruit and you probably don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's the most important thing you can understand or realize this morning. We actually do not have life at all without him, without the vine. The branch cannot live on itself. It needs the vine. See, being children of God means we rely on his ability and his strength and not our own. Branches don't get to decide what kind of fruit they want to go and produce, nor can they produce fruit on their own. We have to depend on the strength and the ability of Jesus Christ and not our own. And this is something the students probably get sick and tired of hearing me say, and I don't care, I'm going to continue to say it as long as I live, is life does not revolve around you, it revolves around Jesus. It revolves around the vine, not the branches. So the simplistic question for us to ask this morning as we sit here and we think about imitating Christ, are we a child of God? Do we truly know and ha- that we have a relationship with him? Is this, do we act like his children? I act like my father. But the bigger question is, do I act like my heavenly father? Do I act like I actually know Jesus? And if you think you're a Christian today and you don't act like you know Jesus, I want to ask you do you really think this Bible is true? Do you real like why do we read the pages of this scripture? Why do we read the pages that we see in front of us and act the way that we act and live the way that we live? Because let me tell you this church, if we truly believe in Jesus and we are truly followers of Jesus and we are truly children of God, then w- there is no other option but to fully surrender. There is no other option but to give everything over to God. Our anxieties, our worries, everything that we have, our depression, our problems, our sins, give it up to God and focus on how we can imitate him. See, we have learned so much from watching our parents and guardians, both good and bad, right? I picked up a lot of my father's good traits. I picked up some of his bad. And he would tell you the same thing. And my son, I hope he picks up as more of my good than the bad. But that, that could be hard. But here's the thing. We also know how to imitate God by knowing and experiencing him. Some of us want to think that we can imitate God without talking with him, without praying to him, without being in his word. You can't imitate God, if you don't personally communicate with God, you can't imitate him. Knowing the truth of God will give us the ability to imitate him. Truly being children of God, if you today are truly a child of God, you have the ability to imitate Jesus. 
That's good news. And good news that leads to victory. But if you don't imitate Jesus, it all stems back to you probably don't have him as your Lord and Savior. One of my famous things I like to say, famous, I always say famous. Nothing I say is famous, okay? One of the things I say common, okay, is, and most of the church people have probably heard this from me too, is too many people who attend church want Jesus as their savior, but not their Lord. But here's the thing, Jesus can't be your savior without him being your Lord. So until you let him be Lord of your life, he's not saving your life. Like they, they come together. He's just not a ticket to heaven. He's much more than that. First John 1, verses 12 and 13, uh, one of my favorite passages in all scripture, it says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood of nor the will of, fle- uh, will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Who gave us the right to become children of God? He did. He, he gave us that right that because we are not born of the blood or flesh, but we are born of God. And that's good news for us this morning. Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive, be received as a, uh, receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you no longer are a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's goodness. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And as we are adopted sons and daughters of God, what does it say is sent inside of us? The spirit. And with the spirit inside of us, we can actually look like Jesus. We have the ability to produce fruits that look like Jesus. We can't continue to make excuses all day long for why we don't look like Jesus. We talked a little bit about this on, um, I believe on Tuesday night. We believe in this thing as Southern Baptists called... um, Well, the the way Southern Baptists like to call it a lot of times is once saved, always saved. Okay? Um, I I prefer the language perseverance of the saints. Because a lot of people say, well, I got saved whenever I was five, but I never looked like Jesus, but I got saved, so I'm once saved, always saved. I like the perseverance of the saints because it, it means if we are truly Christians, we persevere through any of our trials and any of our circumstances. God helps us through that. But here's the thing. This is what we talked about. Southern Baptists believe that. There are other denominations who believe that you can be perfect and that when you are no longer perfect, you lose your salvation. Now, I've never met a perfect man before. I would like to... If there's someone who's perfect in here, please introduce yourself to me afterwards, okay? I've never met anyone who was perfect. 
But here's the cop-out that, that Southern Baptists, Baptists, people who believe that, that they are saved and that you're, you're continuing to grow in your faith, what we call progressive sanctification, not perfect sanctification. Okay, this is the cop-out that we like to use. Well, I'm not perfect. It's like we use that as a way to say, it's okay for me to sin. It's not okay for us to ever sin. It's never okay to sin. Stop saying it's not that, you know, it's because I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. Don't use that as an excuse to get by with the hideous sin that's in our lives. Okay, so, so please don't say that. I get angry when people say that. And my wife gets angry when I use that as an excuse. All right, but, but here's the thing. We use that as an excuse to get by like it's okay for us to continue to, to dwell in our sin. First John 3, 1, through 2, 1 and 2 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why, not, why, why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and listen to this, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. What's our hope as children of God? Our hope is that Jesus has come back. We live in what we call the, the here but not yet. Jesus has come for the first time, but he has not yet come the second time. All right? Our hope is one day he's going to come back and part of that is we have a future inheritance that Jesus is giving us, which is called heaven. We get to experience that future inheritance. So imitating Jesus means abiding in him. Point number two, imitating Jesus means we imitate his love. Imitating Jesus means we imitate his love. The fact that Jesus loved us first and that his love is divine and his love is unending is our only hope for loving him and others. And and, and that's the truth here is that Jesus loved us first and his love surpasses anyone else's love. And because of that, we actually, because we have the spirit living within us, we can love like Jesus loved. That's amazing truth for us today. Let's turn to um, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 starting with verse 7, says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, in order for us to, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 13, in order for us to actually understand love, we have to know Jesus himself to understand that type of love. If you don't have a relation with, relationship with Jesus, we truly can't understand the sacrificial love that Jesus talks about. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we have problems loving people, what 
the author here, what John is saying here, is if you have problems loving, let's go back to the root of the problem. Do we know Jesus? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent, uh, that, that God sent his only son through the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You get, even the authors of the Bible are saying, it's not about you. It's not about your love towards God or your love towards Jesus. It's about his love towards you. And then, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now it's very clear in scripture that we are called to love in a similar way as God loves. And here's the thing. Today I know some ways I could really get some big amens. I could talk about the Supreme Court decision. How they tried to redefine marriage. And I could get some really big amens from some good Southern Baptists. Or maybe I could mention why we should or should not have more gun control laws. Or maybe I could even mention why we should or should not be able to hang the Confederate flag up. And we would get some major amens behind that. But Christians, listen for one minute. Our love for some doctrinal stance or liberty stance have often surpassed our love for people. And that's a shame. Our love for individuals should be far much greater than our stance for anything else other than the gospel. So I say this to you today, and I'm going to make some people upset, and that's okay. What if the people of God would, would love standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ as much as they do on political issues? Or what if our love for people surpassed any secondary issue that, ha- that has a little bit to do with the Bible? Or what if the people of God here in the United States would stop pointing their finger to one man, Barack Obama, and start getting on their knees and raising their hands to a God that has more control than any president or any person on this earth? See, see, see we, and we, we can clap about that, but I'm asking you, are you truly loving people by the way that you are living? See, I have my deep convictions about what the Supreme Court did. But you know what? One of my convictions is I need to love people more even if they don't want to agree with me. They, I cannot lose my witness because of what I believe that the Supreme Court shouldn't have done. And it goes on with any of those Stances, And so many of us lose our witness and lose the opportunity to actually show the love of Jesus to people because we are so arrogant about what we believe should or should, or should not have happened. And I, I urge you people, let's consider getting on our knees and raising our hands to a God that has much more control than any of us. And maybe God will show favor on us. Because I would venture to say 
that Jesus would be disappointed in us as we demonize our culture for the sake of winning a debate instead of loving people to the cross. Hey, I understand we preach the full counsel of the gospel. We preach it to the ends of the earth. But I also understand this. If you lead someone to the cross and help them, help them to the cross, it will take care of any of those secondary issues. See, when Jesus changes a heart, he changes everything about us. And what we're trying to do is we often try to win a debate instead of trying to win their soul and making sure that they understand the grace that Jesus has and the forgiveness that Jesus has and the love that Jesus Jesus has. And then they call us bigots because we are. We often are. So let's just Show them the gospel, live out the gospel, speak the gospel, lead them to the cross and show them that we care for them and we love them. Because here's the thing. If people are taken to the cross, they can't, they can't help but change them. We were reminded this past week from 2 Corinthians 5, Colossians 3, and actually we'll probably look at Colossians 3 here in just a second. Uh, we were reminded this past week that we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, if you're an ambassador, you live there, but you're not from there. You're there to give a message, right? Right? For, for the country that you're from, from where you're from, but you're not actually from that place. We must be reminded we're not from here. This is a temporary place. And we are ambassadors and we've been called to be sent here to live here for a time period and give the message of Jesus. And look like Jesus and live like Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, so the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Hey, again, imitating Christ is very clear in the Bible. If we can't forgive one another, you're not imitating Jesus. If we can't show humility and compassion to one another, we're not imitating Jesus. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to its indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. What compels us together? Love. But it's not any love. It's the love of Christ. So loving Jesus, not only him being our first love, but we ought to be the first ones to show love. What if if the people of Mount Pleasant said we would be the first to show people love? Man, what a difference that would make. See, loving Jesus means loving one another. If we don't love one another, then the love of Jesus is not in us, according to what we saw earlier in 1 John. Anytime we show a lack of love towards others, we're showing a lack of love towards Jesus. 
Now, if that doesn't shake you, I don't know what will. When you're not loving people properly, you're not loving Jesus properly. Because that's what Jesus desires out of us. And that's what Jesus would want us to imitate. Because this is non-negotiable. Loving Jesus also means we are seeking obedience. We want to be obedient to Jesus, which means it's love for Jesus and love for others in action. Don't just say that you love people. Actually do something. Do something about it. Care for them. Now understand, hey, just because we disagree doesn't mean we love you. Right? Like there are, my, me, my father and I, when I was a teenager, we disagreed all the time. But let me tell you, he loved me. He cared for me. So I understand that argument. Just don't let that be the argument. Let actually showing them, show them that you, don't let them use that as an argument. Last thing, imitating Jesus uh, means abiding in him. Imitating Jesus means um, imitating Jesus' love. And then thirdly, imitating Jesus means fully surrendering. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. Very common passage that we've heard many of times in churches. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and following. <clears throat> says this. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses it? or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in, the, in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they, they see the kingdom of God. So imitating Jesus means fully surrendering. We're doing it daily. Biggest fear is people who attend church who don't know Jesus and think that they're going to heaven. And they've really never surrendered to him. See, so here's the thing. Total surrender means you're not focusing on your personal gain. You know, Peter experienced this. I think it is in Mark chapter 10 Peter is having an interaction with Jesus and Peter says, Jesus, um, I left everything to follow you. Almost as if, look what I just did. And Jesus says back to him that surrendering is for my sake and the sake of the gospel. It's not about your personal gain. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. So the reason most of us don't fully surrender is because we realize it's not about us and we want it to be about us. It's like we can't give control over to God. We have to have our handprint and our control over our lives. Some of us have probably faced so many trials and so many sufferings 
that we fear surrendering it all. It, it's like we struggle. Like, you don't know what's happened to me. We str- you know, I, I'm, I truly struggle giving it all to God. I can't promise you God's going to make your suffering or your trials any better. But I can tell you this, the outcome at the very end is going to be much better. It's almost as if we, we need to have ownership when God, it's complete ownership with God. God has it. One of the best devotionals out there, uh, which goes through every single day of the year, is a devotional by Oswald Chambers, utmost for his highest. And this past week, Oswald Chambers wrote this. True surrender will always go beyond natural devotion. I love that statement. True surrender actually goes beyond natural devotion. If we will only give up, God will surrender himself to embrace all those around us and we will meet their needs, which were created by our surrender. Beware of stopping anywhere short of total surrender to God. Most of us have only a vision of what this really means but have never truly experienced it. Most of us have a vision of what true surrender really means, but have never truly experienced it. So I ask you this day, church, as I close, what if today, on this Sunday, the people here at the Mount would completely surrender to Jesus? And imitate him in all things. What would that do to our community if we would completely surrender everything? What do you think that would do to our church as a whole? What if we weren't about a contemporary service surrendering to Jesus or a traditional service surrendering to Jesus. But what if we were about one church surrendering everything to Jesus? Because here's the thing. If we truly surrender to Jesus, it starts with us looking at our own hearts. It starts with Joe looking at his heart and it starts with you looking at your heart. And as we individually surrender our lives to Jesus and say, I want him to have everything, then we as a church can do the same. What do you think that would do to our community and even this state, this nation, this world? I don't believe God's done. I don't think God's done with the people here at Mount Pleasant. I don't think God's done with the people here in Colonial Heights or the state of Virginia, or even as some people think, I don't think God's done with the United States of America. Actually, my outlook's a little bit different. As we're about to sing, greater things are yet to come. And I can promise you this, it might not be easy, and there might be a lot of trials, there might be a lot of sufferings in the way, But if we totally surrender to Jesus today as the body of Christ, as the people at Mount Pleasant, 
greater things are to come. I pray that we would do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity to be able to speak the gospel, share the gospel, and I pray that it has impacted all of us. I pray that it, it continues to change us. I pray it continues to sanctify us. I believe greater things are yet to come, God. But I believe it starts with us surrendering our entire lives to you by desiring to imitate you because we are children of God, by desiring to imitate the love that you have to everyone. And by desiring to imitate you by surrendering, surrendering everything. Thank you for calling me out of the darkness into the marvelous light. I pray you would do the same for others this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you-